Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. Recently, I was asked by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization to host their podcast. That podcast is called Leadership in Action. Check it out. Here is an episode that I recently hosted. Hey, folks, welcome back to Leadership in Action, your Boston chapter of EO's podcast. Today's guest is a specialist in a wide range of business and technical areas, including IFRS, financial instruments, credit, risk, basal, capital, regulatory compliance, financial reporting derivatives and credit decision-making, just to name a few. And he thinks all that's boring. Who's ever said that before about what they do? Guilty. Since 2008, he has been actively involved in building businesses, investing capital, advising companies, expanding businesses into international jurisdictions, and building intellectual property. FinTech, anyone? I got another acronym for you. KYC, know your customer, huge in the banking industry. So anyone who does any banking, you might want to pay attention. He is a highly experienced trainer and to date has trained over 12,000 people on a wide range of topics. And I'm excited to talk with him about some of the new futuristic methods of relaying information as he is going to share with us a different way of teaching. He's a new member to our chapter here at EO, so when you see him, go say hello. But he's been with EO for some time now out of the South Africa chapter. He's the CEO of Gray Matter Thinking. He's also a co-founder of DocFox. Please meet Richard Cohen. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thanks very much, Mark. Good to be here. So Richard, what is the most valuable lesson you've ever learned while running a business? It's a very big and difficult question. Huge. Um, I think certainly one of the most important lessons I've learned is almost everyone we meet is a knowledge worker and our ability to not just absorb knowledge, but apply it in practical ways is critical to success. So it puts a lot of emphasis, I think, on not being able to find information, but being able to assimilate it. Uh, digest it, and then use it in, in novel and practical ways. And so the insight is that um, the way that things are explained, how they're broken down, affects people's ability to apply them in a novel way. And so I, what I've seen is the significant impact of how content is relayed and how that then changes the way that people understand what they do and what they can do and how able they are to adapt to the ever-changing business environment. Wow. Okay. So explain what you mean by relaying the information. So a lot of what I've done for, for my career has been taking relatively complex content and trying to digest what it means and how to then relay it in practical ways. So if you're looking for 
an example of that. A lot of the content that you spoke about in the beginning is, is inherently boring uh, because it is technical, because it's esoteric, because it's very applied, because it's industry specific. And the question is, what can you extract from that that you can use in a practical way? So I've always said that I believe the definition of brilliance is the ability to take something really complicated and simplify it. Is that what we're talking about here? Absolutely. That's exactly it. So you're brilliant. I love that. So, so, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> so tell me how you... your words, not mine. I know that. It's on, it's on record. They are mine. Um, and I had the privilege of meeting you in pre-calling, so I've already made that determination. The listeners can, can make that determination as we go. So how does one do that effectively? I think the, the answer is you have to start with uh, immersing yourself into the difficulty of the content. So making sure that you truly understand it. Mm -hmm. And that requires you to be fairly humble and slightly naive when you approach a topic. I think one of the most common mistakes when people approach difficult content is to assume that the person you're speaking to knows what you know and shares the language that you use. And that's very rarely the case. So, so when I approach things, particularly for the first time, I do it as a novice. Uh, and in most cases, I genuinely am a novice. I'm a novice as, 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 as flawed as any other. Um, but I approach it to say, what, what's this really saying and how do I apply it? So what I might do is I might read something and then try and calculate it. So put it in a spreadsheet. I might, I might read something and start thinking through worked examples, what that might mean. I might think about it in a visual way to say, well, what would that look like in a graph? Um, I might try and apply it in the, in the context of our current environment. So a lot of what I try to do is to think a little bit more deeply about the content to say, well, what does it practically mean when they use those words? And that often breaks down, uh, the barriers to understanding because then I'm not accepting terminology because it's been used. I'm not assuming that the person that, um, that I'm going to speak to is going to know what I mean when I say certain things. And that forces me to empathize with their position and try and break down the content as I would want to receive it as the naive recipient who doesn't understand the content just, just yet. So that's an interesting um, concept. How do you know how that person wants to receive it? So for example, each of us learn differently, right? Some are much better at reading, some are better at listening, me, and some are, are visual. So how do you know how to deliver that information to that learner? A lot of that is, I don't know. Um, I know there are different ways of delivering content. And what I try and do is to read the, the audience. And that's actually very easy to do. Uh, people really give, give signals all the time. Um, I'm going to know. And so you, when somebody's not quite following or, um, or is bored because they've already got the content and they want you to move on. So I think, I think it's trial and error. I do try and think through what's the best way to disseminate the content. Um, and sometimes it'll lend itself more towards something visual or numerical or, uh, or uh, illustrative, um, or 
to use an analogy, but often I don't know. But what I can do is see whether when people get stuck, is there a different and better way? Uh, and sometimes I'll just mess it up. I'll try and explain something. I'll go, well, that didn't land. It didn't land for me. It can't possibly have landed for them. And I'll do it again. Um, and I think some of that is being, uh, being conscious that your delivery is not going to be great. Um, and, and then trying it again. And sometimes that's from feedback from the audience. And sometimes it's because I know I just did a bad job. Yes. And I've got to catch it, catch it quickly and remediate it. How do you best learn? I think, I think in a multivariate way. Okay. What I mean by that is, uh, I want to approach it from different perspectives. I think I'm probably more visual than any other way, but I, I'm not sure that it's useful to pigeonhole mm. someone else or myself into a particular learning style. I'm not sure I believe in a style per se. Uh, the way to teach this person is that way and the way to get this person to apply your knowledge is, 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 is this way. I think, um, I think a holistic understanding of knowledge requires you to be able to access it in with the different modes. Um, and, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to approach it for a number of different ways. Um, and I'm not implying I can understand, you know, whatever's thrown at me. Sometimes I'm just not going to get it, but my best chance of understanding it is probably to think through it in a couple of different ways and in a few levels of detail. Independently. It, yeah, absolutely. And at my own pace. Got I think it. it's very easy to believe you understand something by listening to what someone else said um, and saying, as long as that made sense, I have understood. And that's wholly insufficient for understanding. Right. Uh, for you to understand it, you need to know how to apply it. That's really interesting. How do you see the current core curriculum for K through 12 and into college doing and, and what would your advice to them be? I'm going to have a biased view, obviously only of my experiences. I yeah. went through school, um, and to the extent that I can see what my children are being taught and how they're being taught. It seems to me that it's very easy to slip through the cracks in schools. Um, and some of that is, is, is no fault of the school or the teacher. You've got a large number of kids with a, a wide dispersion of understanding. And um, it's quite difficult other than through regular testing to catch exactly where the breakdown is. You can see the results. You can see that some child understands better than another child uh, and maybe above or below your, your desired level. However, um, do they do they truly understand by your definition, or are they good at memorizing and regurgitating? So that's a great question. Um, I think I think the challenge. So, so memorizing is its own skill, but it's got fairly limited application, uh, particularly because of technology. Um, I think it's very easy to mask a lack of understanding by remembering what someone else said, or a, a, a probably more. Um, insidious is knowing a methodology and following it slavishly, but where you don't actually understand. And, and I see that a lot in, in my kids mm. where they will approach particularly a math problem and I'll say, what are you doing? And they say, well, it's this particular type of problem. So I do that. But if you say, why is that the approach to solve this problem? They can't tell you. That's just the approach they've been taught. Mm. Um, and, and so I think to go back to your question, what is a useful um, check 
for the for the teachers and the schools is whether this is the best way to ensure that the kids can understand the content and apply it. Um, and that's quite a difficult thing to do without sometimes rethinking really the entire syllabus and content. Um, there's a tried and tested way it works and it works uh, well enough, but could it work better? Um, and it's quite difficult to make those sorts of changes because sometimes you re need to reimagine the way that you relay information entirely. You need to break it down and start again, probably from a, a different perspective. So what would you do differently in your children's classrooms? So firstly, if I was in my children's classrooms, they'd never listen to me. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I, I would be the worst teacher for them because <laughs> what, do you, what do your parents know? They know nothing. Yes. Um, if, if kids of my, my children's age were mm. in a classroom, um, I think I might uh, approach some of the specific content slightly differently. And the example that you and I spoke about before was accounting. Mm -hmm. Accounting is not a prescribed subject in schools, but it is, it, it is taught and certainly was taught in, in South African schools uh, as an optional topic. And the schools spend five years teaching children uh, what is basic bookkeeping mm. uh, with a little bit extra. Um, and that content can be taught very quickly, but in quite a different way. And so we, we built something that teaches accounting uh, using an entirely different methodology, which is particularly colors and visuals and tools, because if you can see the accounting as opposed to just read the process, you'll have a far more holistic understanding of what's happening. You can see yourself doing something like posting a journal and it's no longer a recordal of a transaction in a particular way, but rather you can see the visual effect of a transaction and, and you the can why. physically interact with it. You will then know why. That's exactly it. You will know why it is as it is. And they teach that in South African high schools? No. They don't they teach, teach it that way. They teach the topic. They teach the topic of accounting. At least but they the methodology do that. they use is. <laughs> but the methodology they use is, is extremely cumbersome and uh, it doesn't seem to have changed very much. Mm. Um, and that approach is paint by numbers. You do this and then do that. It's very much about a methodology that gets taught, but they're missing the why, which maybe is the answer to some of your earlier questions. If you start off with why, a lot of the rest becomes easier. Why are we studying this? I, I will say that kids of um, the education age do ask those questions all the time. Certainly, we as parents... <laughs> can't answer it sometimes. Why are we learning this? Well, I've experienced my 53 years and I have not, mm, not sure why you are learning that. So I can't answer that question, but the why is so, so obviously important. Yeah. So, so let's do something okay. uh, live and ask you, why do children study physics? to build a foundation for a further furthering career in something scientific. And, uh, you know, it's a foundational class to excel further in a specific science. And then the question from that becomes how compelling was what you just said? Not very. Mm. And I think I agree. I'm not criticizing you, by the way, it's, it's not a bad answer at all. 
But if you empathize with a child and you say, the reason you're studying this is this is a stepping stone to something else that you mm. do want. Or not. It's a very weak, yeah, or that you do or don't want, or might possibly want, but certainly you're not committed to right now. Even if you are committed to the outcome, it's still a weak offer. It's still a weak promise. Well, so it's better, it's better could, than because it's part of the core curriculum and you need to take this is. class in order to graduate. It is. Right. But if we thought of a continuum of it's prescribed, you must do it mm -hmm. all the way to something which we'll discuss in a second, where does it's a stepping stone to another benefit come in? And it's probably quite close to the it's prescribed, you must do it. Correct. Inherent in that is actually a promise already, which is if you do this, you will pass, you will get through school and they inherently know that's a good thing. So you're still quite close to telling them what they already know, which is it's a stepping stone and it's something on a path to something else. But that is not a very good promise and that isn't very enticing. Well, it's, it's similar to if you memorize this, you'll do well on the test. And you're relying on the in inherent importance of the test in their mind. Mm. And that's also fairly weak. So I guess my point is there's a sales job to be done and you can't do that sales job until you really understand what this discussion uh, offers them. And what if we could instead say to that child that if you understand physics, you will understand the vast majority of everything happening around you. It's a key to true understanding wisdom of everything. Have you ever wondered how does your microwave heat up your food? How is it that you can hear the radio? Why do you slip on the ice? Why don't you fall through your chair? Why are we attracted to the sun? Why are we, why are we moving around the sun? What causes that? And, and so they may say things like, I know that already, it's gravity. But what is gravity? Mm -hmm. And they may say, well, it's a force. That's it. That's not yet interesting. Those are just words you're throwing at me. What is it that causes us to be attracted to things with mass? And there's a whole interesting discussion about what gravity actually is. And why would something that has got more mass attract something? What feature is there? And if you can start to unpack and you start thinking about all the chemical reactions that happen around you and the physical reactions that happen around you, so that physics is the key and chemistry is the key to understanding the entire world. And if that is in your hands, and I can show you that this is the key to that, that's a lot more interesting. But what you've got to do is show them the practical benefit to them so they're excited. How do I excite you? So I would much rather have taken physics from you than from my high school physics teacher, right? So there, there's that. So is, is it also a passion-driven issue where the person relaying the information has lost any level of passion and, and simply delivers instead of relays? I'll say it differently or answer it slightly differently. I think I do a much better job of relaying information when I genuinely am passionate about it. And, and, and I need to love the things that I'm going to discuss. And you can probably tell already I get animated. I can't help myself when I speak about certain topics. Now, I've never taught physics in my life, but it's a very interesting topic. And I would uh, teach it with, with, with um, pleasure to anyone who will listen to me because I feel passionate about this. And I feel the same way about business and the same way about finance and the same way, funny enough, about accounting, uh, even though most people think it's boring. But if I can tell you what's in it for you, if you understand accounting, 
or you understand banking, or you understand how the financial markets work, or derivatives, um, you'll, you'll feel very differently about it. And I'll explain things to you because it is genuinely fascinating. And then I might earn the rights to, to, to have your attention. And the what's in it for me, that's the sales component of what you're talking mm. about. Mm. Mm. Why, to... why do I want to listen to this? Why mm. do I want to exactly. understand this? Do I need to add this to what's already in my head? Mm. Exactly. And especially on, on, on business pieces, which I guess is slightly more relevant. If you have got a passion for business um, and you're able to find a reason why someone should allocate their time and attention to a particular topic, they'll, they'll experience it differently. And we've got to know what's in it for us to allocate time to anything, especially because information is free and all the more so with AI. So that can never be, um, that can never be the driver to obtain information that shouldn't take your time. You can do it with, it with the click of a button, but to get understanding that you can apply for your benefits, that's an interesting discussion. Because it, it, going back, there has to be a desire first and foremost mm. to spend mm. that time, to go to that click, to, to go down that rabbit hole on YouTube, to learn and learn and learn, and then head over to Khan Academy or whatever. It is business-wise, reading the books and digging deeper and growing. You have to have that desire first and foremost. Yeah, and be able to, to, to relay that to other people so they can try and, um, and become enthusiastic too about the, about the area. Otherwise, it's boring, isn't it? Yes, and I think that's the, that's the issue with education right now is that it's, it's being relayed in a way that is boring to the masses. And if we mm. can have people like yourselves with the, with the why and the sales and the different way of relaying it, I think we would all benefit. I know we in America would benefit if every school was teaching some form of basic accounting, which it's not. There's something, uh, there's a bill here in Massachusetts, where they're hoping that every school will require it for graduation, it is not a requirement right now. And it's, mm. it creates a crisis as people become adults and don't understand the basic fundamentals and nor have they had the desire to dig in and, and learn it. And it if would I say to you, them so much money and stress if they had, if they had learned some of these simple accounting. The, the fact that most people who are in, in some kind of business, and that doesn't have to be an entrepreneur in EO, that can be a, a dentist. Um, it can be um, anybody providing services. It, it could be somebody who owns uh, a, a, a hairdressing salon. Anybody who is in the business of generating cash other than through salary would benefit significantly from an accounting education. It doesn't mean they have to be a CPA. But just to be given some of the core methodology to think through financial transactions and their implication, it can be applied in so many different ways. And so how do so many people go into business, including most entrepreneurs, without what is probably the most powerful skill set available? And it's accessible. And so what does accounting do if we did the sales pitch on that? What's in it for an entrepreneur to understand accounting? Well, it's a rigorous easily digested framework to understand the full financial implications of everything you may do in a business. 
every single transaction. So if you get that framework in place, you will make better decisions. You'll make more consistent decisions. You'll be able to track the progress that you're making towards the end result you're trying to drive. You will understand how the series of transactions that happen in the business on a daily basis roll up into an aggregate result. You'll know how to understand the difference between profitability and cash flows. You'll understand how to forecast into the future. You'll know how to create a budget. You'll know how to understand how you're performing against that budget. You'll know what your financial statements may look like, which your bank may then use. And you'll know how to drive the value of your business in the event that you ultimately sell it. And if there's a framework that does all of that for you and it's accessible, why wouldn't you allocate the time to doing that? Because I promise you, ChatGPT can never do that for you. Right. And what a blind spot that is not having that knowledge base. You end up spinning your wheels, wondering why your annual plan is exactly the same as it was last year, finger in the wind. Mm. And sometimes the, the, the need for those skills is buried because if a business is doing well, then there's cash, hopefully, there's profits, hopefully, and you can continue doing the things you've always done. The question is, could you do better? And could you do better and would it be easier to do better if you had some of those frameworks which are rigorous and allow you to understand the financial implications? of the key decisions you make on a day-to-day -day basis. How do you price? What markets do you enter? What do you invest in? How much inventory should you hold? What should your debtors policies be? How much cash should you have in the bank? What could happen in a bad year or quarter or month? What's the maximum facility you need available to you for the downtimes? And the list goes on. How do you make all those decisions? It is some kind of methodology and approach. You need the knowledge base as opposed to simply saying, oh, my accountant will handle it. That's mm, Absolutely. I hear so much of that. I have a CPA and therefore these are things they can take care of. No. If you're the entrepreneur, you need to own that. They're, they're there to help you. But you're the one making those key decisions day to day. And if a CPA is getting is helping you primarily with your records once the events have already taken place. That's too late. If you can anticipate what those results may look like as you make daily decisions, you'll be far better as an entrepreneur. So tell us uh, simplistically what your company, Gray Matter Thinking, and what your co-found company, DocFox, what do they do? So, so Gray Matter Thinking is a consulting and training business, and it's been working very heavily in um, typically more complex areas of business, including both corporate and, and financial services, banking in particular. DocFox is a SaaS business. And what it does is the account opening processes on behalf of accountable institutions. So what that means is when a bank or a credit union or an asset manager or forex broker, um, or any entity touches money, they're required by law to understand who their customer is mm. and to perform various processes to make sure that when they onboard a customer, they understand the source of the income, that this person is the right kind of person to do business with. And to do that, a whole range of functionality is needed if you want to make that an efficient process 
an enjoyable process for the customer and um, to do so in a highly compliant way. And so Docbox provides that end-to-end service for those institutions to be able to manage that entire process. Know your customer. And the reason for that is to fight against money laundering and terrorism funneling of funds yes. and yes. There, there are many reasons. So the, the first thing is obviously a, a, an entity touching money wants to know who its customer genuine is, and it would like to be able to catch before they onboard a customer, all of those bad actors that they wouldn't want in their ecosystem. Um, in addition to that, there are regulations requiring these institutions to comply and to make sure that they know who their customer is exactly for the reasons that you've spoken about. You don't want to be onboarding a customer which is going to use your institution to lord the money. You don't want to onboard a customer who is um, who has not been appropriately vetted. For example, if they're politically exposed, you need to know that fact. You don't want to onboard a customer, let's say it's a juristic entity, but not know which persons need to be uh, vetted. So to work out who are the ultimate beneficial owners of a structure, for example, a trust, if you onboard a trust as a legal entity, who are those beneficiaries? So if you don't know who to, who to vet, you're going to do an inefficient job and a poor job of making sure that the people that can use your, your services are only those actors you want involved in your business that you want as your own customer. So when you onboard a customer and it's say it's a trust or it's a corporate entity, at what ownership level must they show themselves? Is it 20%? Ah, so that, that's, that is a, that's a great question. So the, the, the key question is going to be not so much uh, a bright line between when you do or don't need to be vetted. The, the question is, um, who ultimately is driving or participating in the entity that you're onboarding? So what you'd have to do is, 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 is fairly complicated. Sometimes if there's a complex uh, interwoven legal structure, you've got companies that may in turn own other companies and some of those companies may in turn be owned by trusts mm-hmm. and some of the beneficiaries may be in different jurisdictions. So you've got quite a lot to do as an entity to onboard this particular company because you must understand that corporate ownership structure and then who ultimately sits behind that structure. And to do that in turn, you may need to perform KYC processes, know your customer processes, on human beings that live in other countries or multiple countries or foreign entities that own shares in local entities. And so if, for example, we think about sanctions lists, you may have a company which is in a jurisdiction that you don't want any exposure to. If that company in turn owns uh, shares in a company that you're onboarding, that may be a sufficient red flag for you that you would not want to onboard that entity no matter the percentage of ownership. So what the regulations require is for you to apply a risk-based approach that you can risk rate your customers and will work out where you need to perform an enhanced due diligence to take additional steps and processes to make really sure that this is the kind of customer you want. And a red flag to take enhanced, um, an enhanced due diligence would be ownership somewhere in that structure 
in a country that you don't want to touch that is on a sanctions list. Got it. So, so let me ask you this, Richard, from, from the entrepreneur's perspective, going into a banking situation, you know, this new type of, uh, discovery can seem daunting, unnecessary, annoying. You know, what do you say to those folks? The banks are highly regulated entities, Mm -hmm. um, and they face very severe consequences if they, uh, if they do anything, in fact, that may tarnish their reputation. And so banks, in order to retain their license as a bank, are required to do a vast range of things. One of those is KYC, but there are many others. For example, maintaining adequate capital, maintaining adequate liquidity, uh, providing reporting to the regulator, um, maintaining appropriate accounting records, the list goes on. There are many, many things, including treating your customers fairly that the bank must do by regulation and law to be permitted to, to, to continue as a bank. And having worked on the other side, it's very, as much as it's frustrating for the consumer to have to go through these processes, for example, KYC, the bank has got to put up certain blockages to catch and filter out those customers that it doesn't want to have. So our job in DocBox is to make that as seamless as possible. So how do we increase the reliability of the process, improve the experience for the customer? So make it slick, make it enjoyable, make it quick, make it painless, make it very easy to get feedback, make it easy to remediate. And on the other side for the, for the institution, which may be a bank or as it may be a, uh, an estate agent or an insurance company that's touching money, for the, from their perspective, to drop the risk significantly. And how they do that is through more comprehensive checks, which we offer, better data, which we enable them to access, better processes, which we put into place, um, quicker turnaround, and more automated flags, and the ability to extract information from multiple sources, including what the customer told you, and to then triangulate them mm. to see whether any anomalies pop up. So for the bank's uh, purposes, we can make the risk significantly lower and cheap. For the customer, we can make the experience better. But what you can't do is eliminate all friction, right? Because if you did that, the cost of that would be banks would be onboarding customers. We're going to use the bank to launder money or to fund criminal operations um, or to expose the bank to reputation risks simply because they have a customer that they shouldn't have had in the first place. Interesting. You can't remove all friction. You can do the best you can, but if you do, then you're, it's a slippery slope from there. Yeah, it's, it's certainly suboptimal to remove all friction because then anything goes and that's the end of, of compliance. And there's a certain level of compliance that is absolutely critical to the survival of the bank uh, and in fact, to the health of the economy. And uh, as a key part in, in reducing crime. Right. Right. And you, don't want, you want maximum friction for a criminal. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So Richard, you have a lot going on. Um, what, what do you, what do you do for fun when you're, when you're not simplifying the complex or, or running around chasing my children? So, yes, so that the part that. of what I do for fun is, <laughs> is, 
it's spending time with uh, with family and friends, obviously. Um, in terms of hobbies, I, I love to read. I love um, Audible. Yes. Um, so I spend a lot of time listening to to audio books, uh, and and on a wide range of topics. It just I find it very fulfilling. Um, so I like to listen very broadly um, for 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 content, and I try and use every opportunity I get um, to play books. So I'm very rarely frustrated by waiting because I've always got these things with me. So I'm always ready to play something and continue with my book. So I'll do it while I'm running, which is another one of my hobbies. I find that very relaxing. I'll listen to a book and run. Uh, if I'm in the car and I'm not on the phone, I'll be listening to books. If I'm in a line waiting for something to happen, I'll do books. If there's something that I've got to do as a chore, uh, shoveling snow, I'll listen to a book. Very so cool. It's a fairly, fairly useful way to multitask and to make various, usually it, um, unpleasant experiences pretty enjoyable. So other than leadership in action, do you listen to other uh, podcasts? I've certainly listened to leadership in action. Let's to say. Um, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm, I tend to spend a lot more time though on, on books, books. On audio books. Are you uh, reading any, listening. listening to anything uh, impactful right now? I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot impactful. I'm actually right now listening to a book on, on memory. Oh, cool. Um, which, I, which I find very interesting. Uh, but, but you'll see very little trend in the kinds of uh, books that I listen to. But if I open up the app at the moment, uh, which I always have, always have on me, yeah. um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very broad range of things. Um, but I, I suppose one of the most common ones I listen to actually is, is, is science. And I have nothing to do with science. Uh, Interesting. Just a topic I'm interested in. Um, but uh, a lot on business. Uh, some, some, something on music. Again, I'm not at all musical. But I find it very um, interesting to listen to the, the theory behind music. Mm. Um, not that I can actually play it myself. Um, some, some works on history, some biographies. Uh, so I find a lot of that interesting. And then, as I said, in terms of other hobbies, uh, I enjoy um, physical um, hobbies. So uh, gym, uh, so lifting weights and, and running, quite a lot of running. Curiosity. It's fun to hear that you're listening to things that that are interesting to you, and it's not, you know, specifically to what you're doing and sharpening the saw of what you're doing on a daily. It's science, and I don't do anything with science yet. It's curiosity. That's amazing. Um, looking forward to seeing you. I'm going to see you tonight, which this will be recorded uh, and and produced later. But we're heading to see Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, and the author of Five Love Languages. So that ought to be really interesting. So folks, if you if you see Richard at the upcoming events, uh, say hello to him. You know him now. So Richard, if someone wanted to connect with you, how would they best do that? I can give you my number and an email address. So my email is rcohen, R-C-O-H-E-N, at graymatterthinking, G-R-E-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R, thinking.com, and my mobile, 781 8091260781809 always happy to connect with people and i'm sure you're on linkedin as well definitely yep cool i'll connect with you there i'm looking forward to it and i'm looking forward to becca and the team at ringmaster putting this out there and it will be in the show notes folks so those those links will be in the show notes so you don't have to get off the treadmill or stop your walk or your shoveling uh, you can push on through 
after the fact. Richard, this has been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing you catching up further. I appreciate you sharing your time, your knowledge, and your wisdom with us. Thank you so much, Mark. Great to spend time with you. And folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate you very much. I hope you learned something today. I, I sure did. And if you thought of somebody, please share this with them. Shoot, share it with anyone. Thank you all very much. This has been another wonderful episode of Leadership in Action, your Boston chapter of EO's podcast. We will see you next time. See you, Richard. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892, for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.